Welcome to Mythsterhood of the Traveling Tales. Join us as we roar the heavens and swim the seas in search of the spectacular and magical. Like the Hydra of Greek lore, our fangs can raise the dead, bringing lost skeletons back to life for an episode or two. But unlike our three-headed friend, we're not guarding the door to the underworld. No, we're blasting it wide open and inviting you to come explore with us. Hello, Mythsters. I can't tell you how good it feels to be back. I feel like I've slept for weeks, but I'm starting to get back to some semblance of functionality. Finally. I hope you have all been fine and well, and I hope you didn't miss me too much, Jazz. Oh, I did. I hope our listeners had a bit of fun with a bonus episode, but it just wasn't the same without you, Annika. Well, as long as you were on your best behaviour. Oh, um, yes, yes I was. Picture of innocence. I mean, did you expect anything less? No, no, of course not. Anyway, I think we better get cracking. And strap in for this one, because Southeast Asia is a whirlwind of cultures, dragon mythology included. Right. Strapping in as we speak. It'll be hard work, but at least we won't get thirsty. Yeah, you're gonna have to explain that one, because I'm not following. Oh, come on, Jazz. Do keep up. It's because we'll be visiting plenty of watering holes this week, remember? Starting with the Philippines. Right. Look at you chomping at the bit. Funny you should say that, because our first dragon is a famous chomper. Not a bit, though. Bakunawa was known for trying to devour the moon. And now for inspiring this week's cover art, of course. Ooh, Bakunawa. Sounds interesting. I even love the name. Do tell. Well, there are a bunch of myths about Bakunawa, all of which involve him eating the moon for various reasons. Bakunawa most likely was inspired by the Hindu god Rahu, who drank the nectar of the gods and was beheaded. His head fused with the body of a serpent, and as revenge, he swallows the sun and moon. This is how locals explain eclipses. It is thought that under Spanish influence, these tales further demonize the god, and the evil Bakunawa was born. Basically, he's a serpent that lives in the deepest part of the ocean off the coast of the Philippines, and occasionally jumps from the water, nipping at the moon. You just said how they explain eclipses. I spy present tense, so that's still going on? Yep. During eclipses, Filipino people will yell, scream, and bang pots and pans and gongs to scare off Bakunawa, and to force him to spit out the moon. Children still play games involving the giant serpent. Also, houses are built according to Bakunawa's current position in the ocean. Supposedly, the serpent's head faces a different direction each season, and builders want to make sure the house is protected from his venom. So, Bakunawa is alive and well. What's he look like? Hmm, that's the thing. Each part of the Philippines has a different description for Bakunawa. Commonly, he is depicted as a serpent with the head of a shark, gills, a lake-sized mouth, and a striking red tongue and whiskers. Two powerful ash-gray wings allow the beast to move across the sky, while smaller wings along its sides allow it to stay suspended in one position. But in some areas, Bakunawa has different names and different appearances. 
The Maranao Arimao Nga is a lion-like dragon, while the Hilige Non Olimo is a winged serpent, and the Bogobo Menukawa is a dragon-like giant bird. A dragon of many faces. I like my dragons with just a single face, to be honest. Oh, you mean like the Komodo dragons in Indonesia? No fair. We already talked about those in our Pacific Island blog. We did, but I've got some more mythology about them. You know you want it. Okay, you're right. I do. <laughs> Settle in, Mythsters, and we'll tell you the story of Putrinaga, aka the Dragon Princess of Komodo. Once upon a time, there was a man named Omponanju, who was the chief of a village in Law Lavi Bay on Komodo Island. This village was constantly attacked by nomadic sailors, so Imponaju took the villagers and left the bay, building houses high in the mountains. His wife fell pregnant on their last night in Nolavi, and later gave birth to twins, one a human boy and the other a girl with speckled scaly skin, hooded black eyes and a tail. Just like the giant lizards that roamed the savannah. You mean the Komodo dragons? Of course. Empunaju named his son Sigirong and his daughter Aura. Aura went out on her own and explored the village long before her brother could walk. Being a lizard, she was especially interested in the chickens. Her father began to feed her meat, but warned her not to attack the goats and chickens. But the villagers were suspicious of Aura. Only her brother would play with her. She began to leave the village and visit the wild dragons, learning to hunt from them. She stayed away longer and longer periods until she left altogether. Years passed, and Si Gerong forgot Aura. He grew wise and strong and became a good gardener and excellent hunter. While out hunting, he saw a deer. Just as he was about to cast his spear, a dragon, hunting the same deer, interrupted him. He turned on the dragon, about to kill her. But a bright light flashed, and his mother appeared, asking if he would kill his own sister. His memory suddenly returned, and he realized the dragon was Aura. Their mother reminded him to treat his sister as an equal, as they were born together. Aura returned to the savannah and Sigurong to the village. And from that day forth, Sigurong and his people treated the dragons with kindness. The lizards roamed freely in the surrounding woods, feeding themselves on the wild pigs, deer and the other creatures that dwelt there. And if a dragon became too old to fend for itself, the people of the village would feed it as though it were a member of their own family. Aww, that's so sweet. Is that why the Komodo dragons are allowed to roam free? Yep, but that's not the only Indonesian mythology about dragons. Want another story? I've got one about Antaboga, who is the Javanese and Balinese Naga serpent inspired by the Shiva Hinduism Antana Sheshna. I dare you to say that three times fast. I don't think I can. But I can tell you that Antaboga is what's called a world serpent, meaning it created the world. Ooh, like the rainbow serpents. Similar. Supposedly, at the beginning of time, only Antaboga existed. She meditated and created the world turtle 
from which all other creatures sprang. Antaboga is also credited with the birth of Dewi Sri, the rice goddess of Java and Bali. Wow, that sounds promising. It's a great story. The Batara Guru, Supreme God, commanded all the lower gods to help him build a new palace. Anta was anxious because, being shaped like a snake, he didn't have arms or legs and couldn't help build. Anta became very upset and cried. Three teardrops fell to the ground, becoming eggs, and he planned to take the eggs to Batara Guru for leniency. It says here in Koji's notes that on the way to the palace, a blackbird approached him and asked him questions. Anta could not answer because he carried the eggs in his mouth. The bird grew angry and attacked him, shattering two eggs. Eek. But Anta made it to the palace with the third egg, which Batara Guru accepted, and Anta stayed to hatch it. The egg opened and became a beautiful baby girl, which Batara Guru and his wife adopted and named Nyupohi Sanghyanshri. And she grew up. She was so beautiful that even Batara Guru was attracted to her. Awkward. The gods became worried and conspired to separate the two. They poisoned her and buried her body on earth in a hidden place. From her eyes, the first rice paddies grew. So he's the old sleaze and she's the one getting poisoned. Well, I can't say that's a nice story, but it's definitely interesting. Do you have any nice stories, Jazz? Hmm, let's see. Dragon turning to stone and falling into the sea? No. Ah, Malaysia's Tioman Island has a kind of bittersweet story. A princess was travelling to Singapore to be with her prince, but on the way was turned into a dragon. After she looked around and realised how beautiful the water was around her, she decided to stay. She put her body into the water and turned herself into Tioman Island to offer shelter to any travellers who needed it. That is sort of sweet. I guess Malaysia wins the Good Dragon Award. Not so fast. They also have quite a few stories about dragons haunting lakes. Haunting like spirits? Nope. Haunting like inhabiting and terrorising the locals. Sort of like the Loch Ness Monster or the evil Emuji from episode 4. Ooh, more cryptid dragons. Go on. Okay, well, first you need a little geography. In Malaysia, there are two lakes, somewhat near each other, called Lake Chini and Lake Bera. Supposedly, they're connected by an underground river, although this hasn't been proven. Underground river has dragon written all over it. I know, right? Well, apparently, a man took a wife in Chini. They grew old and had a grandson who lived with them. One day, the woman was out digging with her grandson and they found some eggs. They left them at home and continued to dig. When they came home, the grandfather had eaten all of the eggs. He couldn't explain why he'd eaten them. He just felt an urge to do it. Well, well, well. You know who else eats eggs? Most serpents. Shh! Don't ruin the surprise. Okay, so wife and grandson come home, all confused and mad that the grandfather ate all the eggs. Then he demanded a drink of water. As it turned out, he ended up drinking all the water in the house. His wife and grandchild went to fetch more. First they fetched buckets, but then grew tired and fetched cans. They grew weaker and weaker and he was still thirsty, so they made a house at the pool of water. The man kept drinking. 
His body grew huge from all that water. Eventually, he turned into a snake. Not just any snake, but one so big that his body filled the pool of water. He told his wife and grandchild that they didn't need to stay with him, but should come to see him once every seven days. At first they did, but eventually they stopped coming. Wanting to be free of him, they fled to Lubuk Kerwing. The husband followed them, making an underground tunnel. Ah, cool story, but it doesn't sound like a haunting. That's because we're not done yet. So we're at Lubuk Kerwing, and a dog starts barking at a log. Not just barking, but going completely crazy. The children went out to see what the dog was barking at and opened the log. It was filled with fat. They took it home for supper and while they were eating, an old man appeared. This was the same old man who had turned into a snake, but they didn't know this, of course. He stuck his walking stick into the ground and they invited him in to eat. Apparently, he didn't eat because the fat came from his own body. I wouldn't want to either. When he was ready to go home, he ordered the children to pull out the staff, but none could do it. The adults joined in the effort and couldn't pull it out either. The old man pulled his stick out with his left hand, then vanished. Where his staff was, a spring formed, which grew and grew, even though they tried to plug it. The water chased the people, asking for things, interestingly basket, a knife, and so on. And whenever the people dropped the items, the spring stopped for a moment. But it always started again. This continued until the water demanded his grandchild. The grandmother refused and ran with the child. But the child fell in and the water stopped, having grown to Lake Bera. Oh no, that's terrible. Apparently, Lake Chini has a very similar creation myth and the people around it know that the dragon in the lake used to demand sacrifices. In the 1950s, there was a huge flood and the people wondered if it was the serpent demanding a sacrifice. Eventually, a young girl fell from her raft and drowned. The waters receded immediately. Okay, that's creepy. Ooh, I get goosebumps thinking about it. Maybe we should move on to something a little bit more cheery then. That sounds like a plan. How about a nation who claims their first ancestors were a dragon and a fairy? And a fairy? Oh yes, please. Then we're off to Vietnam. Long, long ago, there lived a magician king called Kin Duong Vuong, who could walk on water as well as land. One day, while out on the lake, he met Long Nu, the dragon maiden, the daughter of the Long Vuong the dragon king of the sea, and married her. Although some people say it was the dragon queen herself, Long Mao Tan Long. Either way, they had a heroic son named Lak Long Quan, who became the dragon king of ancient Vietnam. Lak Long Quan, with the power from his mother and magic from his father, did a lot of cool things. He basically wandered around restoring peace and order and slaying evil monsters. Oh, like Ulysses? Also, Long as in the Chinese name for dragon? Oh my goddess, how did I miss that Chinese connection? But it can't be a coincidence, can it? Okay, so back to our story. It is somewhat similar to the Ulysses myth, except we're talking godlike power, so maybe more like Heracles. Anyway, while he was out performing all these heroic acts, Mr. Dragon King happened upon a fairy being attacked by a monster. He saved her, and they immediately fell in love. Oh, sweet. 
Love at first slay. <laughs> Good one. So this was our call. She soon bore an egg sac with a hundred eggs, which were the original Vietnamese people. But Ao Ko missed the mountains, so she took 50 of the eggs with her back to the mountains, and Lak Long Quan stayed down by the sea with his 50. Now that's good shared custody. And what do Vietnamese dragons look like? Well, they've changed over time. During prehistory, the Vietnamese dragon was a combination of a crocodile, snake, cat, rat and bird. Historically, the Vietnamese people lived near rivers, and they called crocodiles Giao Long, the first Vietnamese dragon. Archaeologists have found objects with different types of dragons. The crocodile dragons had the head of a crocodile and the body of a snake. The cat dragon has a shorter head and long neck. Its wings and dorsal fin are long lines, and it has whiskers and fur. I've heard of lion dragons, but a cat dragon sounds pretty cool. I know, right? And the cat imagery continued through the Ngo dynasty from the 10th century. Then the dragon was short, with a cat-like body and a fish's dorsal fin. During the Li dynasty, from the 11th through to the 13th century, the image of dragons changed drastically. The Li dynasty laid the foundation for feudal culture, and the slender, flowing dragon represented the vassal kingdom. These dragons curve in a long, sinuous shape tapering gradually to the tail. Pretty similar to what you saw in the cover art for the Korean episode. Their body has 12 sections, symbolizing the 12 months in a year. The dragons also always keep a jewel in their mouths, which is a symbol of humanity, nobility and knowledge. These dragons were able to change the weather and were responsible for crops. From the early 13th century to the 1400s, the Tran dynasty changed things up again. Their dragon was similar to the Li dynasty dragon, but it looked more rugged and it had arms and horns. Its fiery crest became shorter, its slightly curved body became fat and smaller towards the tail. The Tran dragon symbolised the martial arts because the Tran kings were descended from a Mandarin commander. There is a lot of specific detail about them. Is this recorded history? It's actually found through archaeology. Since dragons are such a prominent figure, they're carved into many objects from temples to clay pots. Historians were actually able to form a great picture of how the dragons progressed through Vietnamese history. Continuing on, during the Lamarck dynasty from 1428 to the late 18th century, the Vietnamese dragon evolved into the typical form of Vietnam's modern dragons. These dragons were majestic, with lion heads. Instead of a crest, they have a large nose. Their bodies only curve in two sections, as opposed to twelve, and their feet have five sharp talons. Finally, we come to the Ngoyan dynasty from 1802 to 1883. The dragon from the Ngoyan dynasty has a spiral tail and long fiery sword fin. Its head and eyes are large. It has stag horns, a lion's nose, exposed canine teeth, and curved whiskers. Dragons of the Ngoyan dynasty represent the powerful southern emperors with glory and honour. On that glorious note, Vietnamese dragons are shown as ascending from the water. They might appear imposing and fierce, but they are never threatening. Now, these dragons sound amazing, but- Annika, look at the time. We've got to wrap up. Already? What about the rest of Southeast Asia? Cambodia, Laos, Thailand? 
we'll get to those in the next episode. Until then, I'll wish you days like dragons greeting clouds. What? It's a Vietnamese saying that means favorable conditions. Oh, well, then I also wish you and all our Mythsters days like dragons meeting clouds. That's all she wrote for now, Mythsters. Stay tuned for the second half of our trip through Southeast Asia. Don't want to wait for our next episode? We've got you covered. Patrons receive early access to all our episodes, as well as other Mythsterhood awesomeness, like cross-stitch and crochet patterns, color-by-number principles, etc. Visit patreon.com forward slash Mythsterhood for more details. But even if financial support isn't an option, there are many ways to support the Mythsterhood. Please consider giving us a rating and review on the platform of your choice. It shows you appreciate our work and helps new listeners to discover us. And if you enjoyed an episode, blog, tweet or talk about it. Any form of signal boosting is huge to an initiative like ours. Now, until next time, see you later, Mythsters. Until then, bye.